This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 3, Episode 9. And welcome to Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. Brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, August 11th, 2021, as of the recording of this show. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Matthew Marister. Hello, hello. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Glad to be here with you. I'm happy to have you. <clears throat> today is a news and gear reviews episode. Uh, so we, we will cover some of the latest news from around the firearms and concealed carry industries. We'll also share with you later in the episode a couple of product reviews that uh, Matthew and I have each select, we've selected. We've each chosen one product to uh, review and share with you. So, yeah, looking forward to it. It'll be a great episode. We got some stories. Uh, well, we're going to talk about Missouri, Washington, Mexico, uh, a story out of California and a company or a company, yeah, a company getting sued because of something that's not their fault. Actually, there's a couple of stories today of companies getting sued for stuff that's not necessarily their fault. But we also, I'm excited to get into some new, uh, new product releases, new guns. I guess in the case of one of them, one of them is not necessarily a, well, yeah, one of them is not really a new gun, but it's something that's being adopted by a major law enforcement agency. The other one is also not like a whole, you know, total new gun design, but some some new updates to a popular current design. I think some people will be interested in. But there's word about something new and exciting on the horizon from Kimber. So stay tuned for that. Today's episode sponsored, brought to you by Excess Sights excesssites.com we've talked about them many times on this podcast they are our title sponsor of the concealed carry podcast matthew i'd like to hear a little bit more from you regarding excess sites i yes, i'm putting you on the spot tell us yeah. like I don't, whether it's what's your favorite thing or something that maybe not people or something that people don't maybe know about excess sites or what, anything you want to share about excess sites? Yeah, well, excess sites, I, a lot of people are familiar with the Big Dot site. That's kind of their claim to fame or the, the initial site that uh, a lot of people got heard about excess sites. It's a big front dot um, with that kind of uh, kind of a, a different way of looking at the, the rear sites, kind of like a, a V almost with the vertical line. And you kind of put that dot right on top of the line there. Um, so that's what a lot of people are familiar with. But I know I have a set and I know you do too. Uh, their F8 sites are really nice. They're more of a traditional, um, you know, notch in front site. Um, and, uh, and they come in a couple different you know, configurations as far as blacked out rears and a diminished rear sight. Um, but the tritium uh, is the same as, as their big dot. So they're known for having a, a, a nice bright tritium. Um, and so, yeah, if you're looking for night sights and you've seen the big dot and you don't really, you know, care for a, a super large and not super large, but larger than probably what you're used to uh, front site, maybe check out the F8 sites. If you haven't seen those, um, they're probably more in line with what you're traditionally using on your site. So, uh, or on your gun. So yeah, uh, I, I would, 
definitely, if you haven't seen their website in a while, head over to Excess Sites and check out their new new line of sites. Not new, but maybe new to you. Yeah. Yeah, their newest product is the R3D night sites, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that's a, probably a little bit more familiar to many gun owners and shooters with a more traditional three dot type arrangement uh, versus the F8s that are uh, more like a figure eight style in terms of, you know, at least with the tritium vials, uh, the tritium portion of those sites, the dots are going to be stacked upon each other in the F8s. And the R3Ds, they're, they're horizontal, right? Uh, I really like the F8s. They're my favorite. R3Ds, you know, I did quite a bit of testing with. Uh, they're all they're they're both excellent, and uh, yeah, it just kind of depends on what you want and what you're looking for. So check them out, guys. XSSites.com. Uh, one big thing is those are made in the United States of America. Uh, both the the sites themselves are machined and manufactured right in XS Sites plant, and they are one of the few manufacturers in the world actually that. Are, that are certified and licensed or whatever. Like it's actually because they got to handle tritium, which is actually technically a, a radioactive substance. So they have a whole, like talking to one of the uh, executives at the company and he's like, I can't even go in, in the room where they where they make the sites and assemble the tritium and everything. Like you got to have special training, and like nuclear engineering degrees or something to, to do that. So, <laughs> so... Um. Anyway, kind of kind of cool, uh, cool in that they make everything in their own manufacturing facility. Uh, so that's really cool. They own it, they make it, they QC it. Uh, great stuff, high quality product, and good people over there representing uh, good Americans everywhere making sites. So today's other episode sponsor is CCW Safe. CCWSafe.com is the place to go to learn more about their coverage. I've been a member of CCW Safe for a few years now, a member of their ultimate plan. I have their ultimate member challenge coin right here. It's kind of cool. I think they send that to every ultimate member now. Uh, But uh, guys, uh, whether it's the ultimate plan or the defender plan or the protector plan, which is available for law enforcement and and, uh, military, uh, they have something for everybody, okay, with the exception of a couple of places like Washington State and New York State. But uh, great program for legal coverage in the case where you use deadly force. Uh, the thing that I appreciate most about CCW Safe is they back up their members like nobody else in the industry that I'm aware of. And that's proven in their actual cases that they've defended, most notably the Stephen Maddox case. And you can go look that up. Search search Stephen Maddox, uh, uh, CCW Safe, and read all about They have a multi-part series about that case and everything that went on with regards to that case and what CCW Safe, together with Stephen's attorneys, worked really hard to do to ensure that these trumped up charges were not going to stand against a good man. So CCW safe guys to learn more and podcast listeners use the coupon code CC podcast to save 10%.
All right, let's get into our stories. So the first story is, I'm, I'm going to throw this one your way, Matthew. Missouri governor pardons gun-waving St. Louis couple. <laughs> this is the uh, McCloskey couple. Uh, uh, this is according to a WashingtonTimes.com article. Tell us, uh, what's the uh, story here? Yeah, everybody remembers um, the McCloskeys, right? Mark and Patricia, they had the... Uh, the nonviolent protesters marching across their their uh, lawn or whatever, um, and ended up brandishing some firearms. Um, and uh, and I say nonviolent because in the article, um, one of the they they evident they um, eventually pled guilty to a lesser charge. They charged them initially with some felony gun charges, um, and Patricia and Mark. Uh, pled out to misdemeanor uh, charges. Um, and in the case, in, in the court uh, proceedings, um, the they said that they couldn't find any indication that any of the um, people that were on their property knew that they were there illegally or were violent or made any threats. And that's why I say a nonviolent um, crowd. The McCloskeys obviously saw it differently, and that's why they came out of their house with their uh, with an AR-15, or I think it was an M-16, um, and a handgun. Uh, Patricia had like a, a little handgun. Um, anyways, they, um, the Missouri governor, Mike Parson, uh, said from the beginning he is going to, even if they were charged and found guilty of whatever, uh, that he would pardon them. And last Tuesday, he came through and pardoned them. Um, so Patricia McCloskey pled guilty to misdemeanor harassment. She was fined $2,000. Um, and Mark McCloskey pled guilty to a misdemeanor fourth degree assault. He was fined $750. Um, both of them are attorneys and neither one of them lost uh, their um, their law licenses because they were misdemeanor charges and not felony charges. So they still have uh, their um, law license. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting was um, Mark McCloskey after the, after the, you know, um, they pled out and then was, were later um, pardoned. Mark McCloskey, um, he announced uh, back in May that he was running for U.S. Senate. And so um, after the plea hearing at that point, he says, uh, they ask him, you know, what do you think about this plea bargain and all this? And he says, I do it again. He said, um, anytime the mob approaches me, I'll do what I can to put them in immediate imminent, or imminent threat of physical injury, because that's what kept them from destroying my house and my family. So we obviously have two different sides of a story. Um, I'll let you guys decide what you <laughs> think uh, about that but uh yeah it was it's a good thing they were uh they were pardoned and uh, i i personally think that they should have been so i think this was a story with a couple in their home that had uh, a situation very uncomfortable it would be uncomfortable for any of us uh if we were to place ourselves in their shoes particularly you're in a up you know a more upscale neighborhood uh, and my understanding was this was gated and the protesters forced their way in or something like that. Now, I, correct me if I'm wrong on that fact, but I seem to recall that. This has been a while ago now. Um, so, but regardless, you have a massive assembly of protesters marching down your street 
and you've seen all the news over the last year, uh, uh, you know, protests getting out of hand, uh, turning into riots, property damage being the norm for many, many places, especially in the St. Louis area, like the St. Louis, St. Louis itself saw a lot of riot related violence, uh, all through, you know, or throughout parts of the year 2020. So that's the context. I think you had a, a man and a woman here, husband and wife that, uh, were placed in a situation that was very uncomfortable and probably scary for them. But I also think they got caught up in, in that fear and the uh, uh, emotions of the moment and probably um, and also were, were not particularly well prepared for how to handle themselves in such a situation, nor were they prepared particularly with their gun handling skills uh, and safety. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You remember how she, uh, uh, Mrs. McCloskey, was, Patricia, I think it was her name, was waving the gun kind of every which way with her finger on the trigger the whole time. Now, mm-hmm. supposedly it wasn't actually loaded or it wasn't actually a functioning gun or this or that, but that doesn't really matter. Uh, the display of the lack of handling skills was uh, rather atrocious. Um, I think it was an unfortunate situation on both sides, right? I think that, uh, uh, like, no, no, like, if you are not actually, and I'm speaking from the perspective of the protesters, if you're not actually there to hurt them, if you're not carrying weapons, if you're not committing violence, then like nobody should have guns pointed at them unnecessarily at the same time like the these 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 were just two people trying to mind their own business in their own home on their property and all of a sudden hundreds of people making all kinds of racket noise uh start marching through their neighborhood uh so uh i I just think it's an unfortunate situation all the way around and the lesson to be learned is let's be a little bit better prepared ourselves. Let's recognize the fact that this sort of thing could happen based on what we've seen in the last year, year and a half could happen in just about any neighborhood. So prepare yourself. Okay. If a protest or riot comes to a street near you, then have an action plan and know how to follow it and have, you know, good tactics and gun handling and whatever else might be required of you. Let's go to our next story from crosscut.com. Never been on this site. Um, this is an interesting one. And actually, I, I, when I first started reading the article, it was, it was one of those things I, where I thought this could go one way and I could totally end up hating this article. Um, <laughs> turns out I, I did not hate this article. Uh, overall, is I, I, I thought where this is going to go was going to be you know, more gun control kind of thing, right? Because the title of the article is Suicide is Washington State's Biggest Gun Violence Problem. That's that's a that's a catchy title, right? Uh, and then the, the subheading is two prevention experts debunk myths about suicide and explain what we can do to, to decrease these deaths. Again, I, I'm reading this. I'm like, well, this is probably going to talk about how we need more gun control and all this stuff. Um. I'm just going to summarize it and in the conversations one we've had before, and it's a good conversation to continue having in our community folks, but uh, let's just recognize it is, it is a well-known statistic that uh, a 
large chunk of gun involved deaths in our country are are suicides. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's a reality. It's a reality that we have to understand and be okay with. I mean, as far as like it, it's not a lie. I'm not giving you fake news in saying that. And I think most of you understand that. Yeah, this is, this is a thing. Um, there's like, I don't remember the exact number, but I think I seem to recall somewhere around 14, 15,000, you know, it's 12, let's say 12 to 15,000 ish suicides in the U S each year that are done by, by a firearm. Um, that's a bunch and it's a tragedy. Um, Chances are many of you listening to my voice right now or viewing us on Facebook or YouTube know somebody that has committed uh, suicide with a gun. I've known somebody that has committed suicide with a gun. And it is a tragedy and it's a terrible one. So the conversation is an important one to have. So after this article uh, talks about, uh, and I, after it talks about the, uh, the statistics surrounding gun suicides, which I am not entirely certain if I, I, I should have dug a little bit deeper on this. Like they say nationally, 61% of all gun deaths are su- gun deaths or suicides. That doesn't, that doesn't quite jive with what I recall, but uh, I, it doesn't, it, in the context of what we're talking about, it doesn't really matter in terms of the, the, the truth is there are a lot of deaths each year that are as that are gun related suicides. So, um, the article then goes on to basically talk about, and I, I I'm going to quote this section. I thought this was probably one of the better parts of the article, and it recognizes and and they actually quote from or they reference David Yamane, who uh, at Wake Forest University, who's Really good dude. He has a, a blog he calls Gun Culture 2.0. It's a great blog. David Yamane has a, kind of an outsider's perspective. I mean, it started as him being a non-gun owner to now he is a gun owner, and he kind of shares his story of this journey of of becoming a gun owner and involving himself more and more in the industry and in the culture. And he, he coined the term Gun Culture 2.0 referencing how gun culture has changed. Uh, you could say, I suppose, gun culture 1.0 would be the more Elmer Fudd-like gun culture, right? The old-time stuff, uh, where back in the 60s, 70s, we weren't really having conversations about concealed carry and gun control. We were having conversations about hunting and hunting uh, conservation and conservation rights and so forth. Um, anyway, um, referencing doc, uh, Dr. David Yamane or Yamane, depending on how you want to pronounce it, uh, says that efforts to keep people safe from guns need not preclude efforts to keep people safe with guns, especially when an estimated 40% of households in the U S have firearms. Uh, people at risk of firearm suicide typically own firearms already. That's why we've called out statistics in the past that talk about you know the, how if you have a gun in your home, your the rate of injury or death by a gun in your home like substantially increases. Well, it's like well, duh, that's that's a silly statistic because obviously if you don't have guns in your home, like 
you're not going to have gun related injury in that home. Many of us own guns and have guns in our home. So obviously there's a, a, the potential for risk there. It's one that can be easily and reasonably managed. But uh, anyway, but the point here is they say, therefore, efforts to reduce this risk necessarily focuses on education, training, and culture change among firearm owners to, to promote safety from suicide. And I think that's a worthwhile thing to pursue. And I think that's exactly the, the uh, path that we need to be on. So what, I, what I'm saying there is that uh, the, when we talk about changing culture, we need to change the attitude. And I would say in, in a broader sense, just regarding suicide in general and mental health in general, it's okay to ask, to reach out and ask for help, right? Like the, a, a big fear is that uh, people will be judged or uh, people are afraid too, that they're going to have their guns taken away if they have a bout of mental health uh, uh, struggles. Um, people are afraid to, to even do some, something as simple as, hey, uh, you know, dear friend or family member of mine, can you come and just take my guns for a while? It's not, uh, it's not good for me to have them in my home right now during this time because of what I'm going through, right? It's like changing that and, and destigmatizing that attitude and the culture surrounding mental health and suicides and guns, like this is something I'm all for and I'm all about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I thought this was an interesting article um, because, you know, as, as gun owners, we're always quoting, you know, how, how oftentimes guns are used to protect life. And the reason why we carry firearms is, you know, to protect life and, and that we value life. And, and those are, you know, values that a lot of um, uh, people that, that, you know, possess firearms, those are, those are a a lot of values that uh, a lot of people have. Um, and, And then, but when this subject comes up and says 61% of people um, who commit suicide, um, uh, you know, or 61% of gun deaths are, um, are with firearms, we kind of push it away. Right. And we don't want to address it because we think somehow by addressing that, then we're pro gun control or something. I, I, I don't know. It's the same, it's the same phenomenon that happens with, you know, um, responsible gun storage, right? As soon as somebody talks, starts talking about responsible gun storage and not wanting kids to, to come across, you know, loaded weapons that are unsecured in the home, all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's, well, you want to ban guns or something, right? So it, I think that we have to address this in, 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 within the gun community and I hate that, but the, the culture does need to change. We, we, we need to, um, to be able to, um, help one another and address these things. And if you know somebody, you know, you said, you know, somebody, I, 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 unfortunately I have somebody in my family member, a, a family member who, who, um, died of a, a self-inflicted gunshot wound. I have a couple buddies that, that ended up dying, um, committing suicide with firearms. And so I think it's, it's a, it, it's a real thing. And, you know, 
we can talk about the pandemic and all this stuff and anxieties and depression, but it's a real thing. And so if you, you know, um, if you're on your own, if you're listening to this and you're on your own, you're, you, you have firearms and you're afraid that somebody's going to come and take your firearms away. If you say, you know, I feel a little depressed. Um, you, you, you got to start by having a couple people in your, in your close vicinity that you trust, that you can talk to that will, that can come in and say, Hey dude, let me hold on to your firearms. Let me lock them up. You know, if you have a, a family member, um, do those responsible things. It's, it, it, you know, um, one of the quotes in here, I thought it was really interesting. Um, we often say like, if, well, if somebody's going to kill themselves, they're going to just do it. And this, this article, and like you, I didn't dive into these and, and try to fact check these, these statistics, but it says more than 90% of people who live through a suicidal crisis do not go on to commit suicide. Right. So, or die by suicide. So, um, you know, if you stop them in, in, in that, you know, um, initial, um, you know, kind of, uh, manic state where they're, where they're willing to do that. If, if they stop 90, this is saying 90% probably won't go through that, um, crisis, uh, you know, and commit suicide. Right. Again. Um, and, 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 you know, obviously, um, there are many different ways you can commit suicide, but a firearm is pretty much, um, a irreversible, you know, w- when you commit suicide by with a firearm, you, you, you probably it's probably going to be completed, right? Um, a, you know, a lot of drug overdoses, people take drug over, you know, drugs to try to kill themselves. Those are usually not usually, but oftentimes reversed, right? People intercede or intervene and, and get them to the hospital or their body, you know, they they vomit it up, and, and so um, we we just need to be real with this, and I think that um, we just can't be tiptoeing around and be scared to talk about this because it is, it's an issue. 61% of gun deaths are from suicide. You know, that that's, that's something we got to address. I I think so. Well, yeah. And yes, yes, yes. And yes. But again, I think overall we as a society uh, need to just do a better job with mental health. Oh, uh, sure. And, and treating people with suicidal thoughts and tendencies uh, to begin with. Uh, like the, the, the issue, the, the danger here and what it often leads to is that the gun becomes the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's not the symptom. That's not the cause. Like it, it's, it's deeper than that. It's the mental health uh, piece of this. The gun is just a tool. And the article with some, you know, there's some myth busters here, a couple of experts that say, you know, a common thing is people say, well, you know, if, if they don't have a gun, they'll just find another way to commit suicide. And they're saying that that's uh, a myth. Um, I, I mean, here's the thing. Japan has a high rate of suicide by train compared to other developed countries because they have a lot of trains. It's a, a main method of transportation. And uh, it's also kind of, I think there's a, almost like a pop culture piece of it too. Like one, one person does it, other people are like, hmm, that seemed like that worked. And so I'm going to try that too, you know, like, uh, or hey, that's a heck of a way to go out. I'm going to jump in front of a moving train, you know. So, so I think every country and every society has their own various challenges, uh, especially, you know, where, where it comes to mental health and suicides. Uh, people find different ways of getting the job done uh, when they are desperate enough to do so. 
but it would be, you know, you know, we would be remiss if we disregard the fact that a gun is incredibly effective, right? Uh, and and thus there's a high rate of success. So that that is the danger part here, and that's why we as gun owners should not be afraid to reach out and ask for help. That goes both ways. If we're the one that's struggling, reach out to someone that that we care for, that cares for us, a friend, a trusted advisor, uh, a coworker, whatever it is, and ask for help. On the converse, you know, the flip side of that, uh, check in with people that you're concerned about or that you know, haven't been quite themselves lately or whatever it is and just see how they're doing. And if it's known that guns are, you know, that that person's a gun owner, like, don't be afraid to ask, like, can I help you out? Uh, if you're in a really bad, dark place, you know, can I, can I take possession of your guns for a time? Now, there's a problem with that in some states. And this is one that frustrates me a lot with the state of Colorado, with our universal background check law passed a number of years ago now that prohibits transfers to, you know, private party transfers without going through background checks. And that's a problem, I say, because usually when there's a moment of crisis, we need, we need to take action right then. We don't have time and it may be too much of a burden and therefore uh, suppress the effectiveness of me saying, hey, buddy, let's, let me come and grab your guns. That's pretty simple and straightforward and we can get that done. We can get that done in the next half hour, right? But hey, let me take your guns, but oh, we got to go down to the dealer and run a background check on everything. And that the additional hassle of that so we can comply with the law is going to be its own deterrent to pursuing that as an option. Apparently, there's a clause in the Washington state law that permits that sort of thing to, to be done. Uh, but technically, per Colorado state law, if I was to take my buddy's guns in an act in an effort to save him, I'd be actually make, taking unlawful possession and transfer transference of those guns without going through the proper channels. So uh, unforeseen consequences of certain laws being passed, laws that weren't needed in the first place, but whatever. Not, not the uh, scope of uh, this discussion here today. We need to move on. We got a bunch of stories still to cover. Let's go now to Mexico. Mexico sues U.S. gun makers in unprecedented attempt to stop weapons crossing border. Matthew, what's going mm. on here? <laughs> yeah, so um, so Mexico sues Smith & Wesson, Barrett Firearms, Colt Manufacturing Company, Glock, and Ruger. Um, and what they're, what the Mexican government is claiming is that these gun manufacturers know that their firearms are being trafficked across the border into Mexico and being used um, uh, in murders and in, in crime organizations, right? So um, it, it is illegal for them to um, take these firearms across the border. And in Mexico, you can't have firearms in general, right? Um, so there are firearms, of course, that are traveling south of the border and there are drugs that are traveling, right? The, the, the border is porous for, for illegal things going back and forth, right? All different kinds of things. Um, and so these crime organizations get firearms from the United States, uh, 
transport them in there into Mexico. And because only, you know, the, the, the police and, you know, the, the cartels have firearms, you have some issues where um, nobody can defend themselves. And there are a lot of murders, kidnappings and all kinds of stuff. I'm sure, you know. Um, so Mexico is saying that these, these companies are openly, knowingly um, selling these firearms and not regulating the people who they sell them to the distributors um, and know that the distributors are illegally selling them to um, people who are then transporting them over the, over the border, which I don't know in any stretch of any imagination, somebody could, could connect those dots in, 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 you know, with any sort of um, high degree of, of certainty. Um, I think that it's unfortunate and it's sad that firearms are being used illegally in Mexico to um, commit crimes. I, 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 you know, I don't think anybody is for that, but to somehow trace the firearms back to, you know, Glock and say, you didn't regulate the, the distributor who sold your Glock 19 who, that ended up in Mexico at this crime scene. Um, that's not how the, the gun manufa- gun manufacturers don't regulate guns, right? Like the, 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 the federal government does. So um, I, I don't know how this proceeds um, other than I think it's more of a, you know, a, a uh, kind of a conversation starter that that people want to um, bring up and, and try to, um, I, I don't think there's any idea that this will be successful, um, but it certainly has people talking and we're talking about it. So um, yeah, what, what what's your take on this? I think this is pretty ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. you've covered it, I think, pretty well. Uh, somehow it is Smith and Wesson, Barrett Firearms, Colt, Glock, and Ruger's fault that uh, Mexico has this issue with gun running over their border. Mm-hmm. Versus maybe we just have an issue with an unsecure border with a country like Mexico that has problems with these drug cartels, whole parts of their country where the government doesn't run those parts of those kind of that country, right? Where the cartels are the ones that are in charge and local law enforcement are on the payroll of the cartels, right? Maybe we have more of a problem with that kind of thing. Okay. So maybe, maybe the U S has, maybe the U S has a problem with lackadaisically letting people in across our border to our side, but Mexico could crack down if they really wanted to. But the problem is they have cartels that have a lot of money and a lot of power and a lot of resources and a lot of control along the border. So it would be an all out war for them to try to get that under control. And that's a war they don't want to have. They'd rather leave, let things kind of stay in a somewhat controlled, you know, like, some sometimes this is, and I'm not saying this is the right approach. I'm just saying that this is sometimes how it works in the real world. You have a situation where this, this by the way, this this example, this has happened in some of our major cities in the U.S. where mobs and gangs have had control over whole sections of cities. Okay, where it's almost easier and less pain to just let them continue running things in those jurisdictions. Right. 
because if law enforcement and the government tries to step in and take over and crack down on those gangs and mobs, or in this case, drug cartels in Mexico, like it's going to be all out war. And that will disrupt things more, at least in the short term and potentially in the long term, than if they just let the status quo remain. Again, I'm not saying that's the right approach. I'm just saying that's the reality. So Mexico has a problem, and that's their problem. It's not our problem. Well, we could work together with Mexico, and Mexico could do a lot better job of trying to keep people from crossing the border as well. You know, but they don't care. They're like, oh, sweet, all these people. And by the way, lots of people coming into Mexico from other countries that Mexico is like, sweet, let them go to the U.S. Not our problem, right? And conversely, people are able to go over the border into Mexico pretty easily if they really want to. So now another interesting thing here to note, Matthew, and it's not covered in this article, but uh, they basically are hitting the top manufacturing companies with this lawsuit minus Sig Sauer. Hmm. That's interesting. Guess who is in negotiations right now Mm -hmm. for a major contract with the Mexican government? Sig Sauer. Sig Sauer. (laughs) Hmm. Maybe don't, maybe they don't want to rock the boat there. I did hear from a source that uh, Sig Sauer is being contacted by people saying, hey, maybe you should consider reconsider doing business with Mexico with this contract because of what they're doing to other U.S.-based manufacturers. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's an invalid thing to suggest. So does Sig love money more than they love principle in this case? I don't know. I guess we will find out. I say that fully being a self-described, I'll, I I never say this, but I'm a SIG fanboy, okay? Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends at SIG. I carry SIGs. I shoot SIGs. I like SIGs. I like some of these other guns too, but SIGs are what, uh, that's what I'm carrying on me right now. But this is just, an, that's an interesting data point that stood out to me that, hmm, Interesting that they're not coming after SIG. Interesting that they are conveniently pursuing a contract there. Anyway, moving on. Every town sues Palmer 80 Inc. on behalf of two wounded LA Sheriff's Department deputies. This goes back to that uh, very unfortunate, terrible act of violence against two L.A. sheriff's deputies a few months back uh, that were shot uh, uh, in, in, in an ambush, right? They were attacked. They were parked in their vehicle outside a bus station in Compton and approached by a man and shot. Apparently that man, it says here, was shot. He used an AR pistol built from a Palmer 80 kit. That was news to me. I hadn't heard that before. Um. So every town for gun safety is representing and on behalf of the two wounded L.A. County Sheriff's deputies suing the Nevada-based manufacturer, Palmer 80, because here's their claim. 
They purposefully sold their products without markings to make it difficult for law enforcement to trace the firearm. Hmm. Except here's the problem with that. A polymer 80 kit is not a firearm. Now, the ATF would love to make it such. They're working pretty hard to change the definition of what a firearm is. But a polymer 80 is not a firearm. It's a chunk of plastic. It still requires manufacturing to take place to convert it into a firearm. Go online and Google sometime. Homemade firearms, like, and, and enter random countries' names, like Mexico, Philippines, Venezuela, etc., etc., and see how crafty people can be with making homemade firearms. And then just recognize that no matter what you do, Criminals will be criminals. Criminals will obtain and will build weapons of all sorts to commit their crimes with. A company's not at fault here. Criminals are at fault. Oh, they they sell these kits, these 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 products without markings intentionally to make it difficult for law enforcement to trace. Tracing occurs after the fact of the commission of a crime. It does very little to prevent the crime from happening in the first place. Just a thought. Yeah. I mean, you pointed out the fact that they're not selling firearms. And so uh, I, I don't, I mean, this is one of those, I don't see how this proceeds like successfully for every town. And I think a lot of this is posturing and, and just kind of positioning for kind of putting pressure on, um, you know, different people that may be able to pass legislation or influence decision-making within regulatory bodies that, you know, and have an end around way of creating legislation that bans or redefines certain things. And I think all this stuff is more of that rather than, they believe that this will, you know, somehow win, um, in, in court. Um, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I'll try to keep you updated if that case progresses. Uh, com. This is a Wichita, Kansas news station. Reports concealed carry applications more than doubled in Kansas this year amid pandemic. Give, give us your take on this story, Matthew. Yeah, so um, it, it says Schmidt. He is, I believe, the the sheriff deputy, or I'm sorry, attorney general. Uh, attorney general. Between July 1st, 2020, and June 30th, 2020, concealed concealed carry licensing unit. Uh, received 7,700 new applications. That was more than double the amount of applications received the previous fiscal year. Um, so that's pretty, pretty, uh, you know, telling. That's 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 an interesting increase, right? When it doubles. Um, part of this was obviously the pandemic uh, played part of this. They also uh, changed the requirements for getting a, a concealed carry license in Kansas. They reduced the age to eighteen. That might have played a part, but overwhelmingly, and you know, this is seen. I mean, obviously, throughout the industry, not just concealed carry licenses, but 
gun purchases, training um, across the country is the pandemic, the 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 rioting, the the police kind of um, uh, defunding, talking about defunding and, and withdrawing, and police not being able to be as proactive, and and all this stuff has. Um, cause a lot of people to say, I want to be uh, able to defend myself. Um, and so, um, yeah, this is, this is crazy. And this is just Kansas, but I'm sure that this is repeated uh, across the country for those states that, you know, the issue concealed carry permits. Um, but, you know, th- we can, I think it'd be easy to say, oh, well, this is just a one-off, but I'm, you know, just, you know, you, you Riley probably have the numbers more than I would, but concealed carry uh, classes, advanced training. I've seen anecdotally more people just uh, wanting individual training, advanced training outside of concealed carry training than I have in the previous years by, you know, uh, many, many fold. Um, and so I think that this is, this is just, uh, you know, a result of people wanting to feel more comfortable, uh, comfortable, confident and protected, um, in, in their own personal protection, taking that responsibility on themselves. Yeah. I was, I'll be honest. <clears throat> I mean, I recognize that Kansas isn't a large population state, but this was a year's time of data. They received 7,717 new applications. That was statewide. That's more than double what they received the previous year. I I just decided to pull up. This is just interesting to me, right, Matthew? But um, the last year, well, actually, this is for the year 2020. Just to put this in perspective, the state of Colorado had or issued 59,526 permits. You can find those statistics on the Colorado Bureau of Investigation website. Uh, They don't issue the permits, the county sheriffs do, but the county sheriffs have to send uh, background check info to the state. So that's how the state tracks how many numbers, how many people, or how many permits were issued, or how many permits were were they, uh, I should say, it was 59,087 is actually what was what they found to be eligible to receive hanging permits. 187 applicants were denied. That's actually quite remarkable if you do the numbers on that, the percentages, how, how, how many people applied, and like how many people were actually prohibited persons. Mm-hmm. Very few. Funny how that works. Criminals are generally self-policing in terms of, (laughs) hmm, if I'm a criminal, I'll just carry my gun concealed, regardless of what the government says. (laughs) They're not out there applying for permits. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we've seen an uptick for sure over the last year. Uh, It's it's coming, it kind of ebbs and flows, right? Uh, I would say right now it's been down in terms of concealed carry classes a little bit compared to a few months ago. Um, so, you know, it ebbs and flows. Uh, there was definitely an uptick in people wanting to get permits last year, but there was a stretch there where it was kind of difficult to do because COVID restrictions, not being able to do classes quite so much or with as great of numbers and county sheriff's offices being shut down, therefore not 
processing permits uh, quite as efficiently as what they normally would have. So, um, yeah, it's been an interesting year, but there's definitely been an uptick. And now the other thing that they surmised is that can't or that that it probably actually will uh, continue or maybe even increase because Kansas recently uh, reduced the age to 18 that that an 18 year old can apply for a concealed carry permit in Kansas now as well. So, so they'll probably see an influx of 18 to 20 year olds applying for permits. Yep. Moving on to hey, our first, actually, you know what? Let's do this. I'm going to do, let's cover the Los Angeles police department story, Matthew. Cool. Uh, and I'll leave the Canex story for you. Los Angeles Police Department selects the FN509MRD-LE as new duty pistol. And this is uh, kind of a, we'll call it a new variation of the FN509. They they came out with the MRD. This is classified as the MRD-LE. MRD just means that it's optics ready, okay, an FYI. But the FN509 pistol, it's a great pistol. I tested one for several months a few years back and found it to be a very serviceable, reliable, accurate, good shooting pistol. Uh, I liked it. I, I liked shooting it. I thought it was a pretty solid gun. Uh, it it ran well. You know, it had a decent trigger. Not a great trigger, but a decent one. That's all it really needs for a duty pistol, I'll be honest. So, uh, apparently, the LAPD did this... Uh, uh, contract competition, if you will. They evaluated a number of different guns. Uh, They did a 20,000 round count endurance qualification. The FN 509 surpassed that with zero malfunctions, it said. Now, they didn't say what what other guns were up for, you know, that were also um, uh, uh, considered for this new contract. they just say that the FN 509 had zero malfunctions in the 20,000 round test. Uh, they, the LAPD has roughly 10,000 uniformed officers. So this is a large department. Obviously we all know that we understand that uh, that's a bunch. So this is a huge contract for FN America as they are officially known. Now they used to be FNH USA, but a few years ago they changed the company name to FN America. Um, the FN 509, like I said, is a great pistol. Now they have the MRD series and that's the other exciting thing with an agency as large as LAPD is this is optics ready. So that tells you that the LAPD is being forward thinking in this acquisition. And, uh, I, I assume they will be either issuing or giving officers the option or ability to add optics to their pistols, uh, which I think is a positive note. So, um, one thing that's really cool about the FN, I just got a text, by the way, guys, in case you're wondering, uh, from Matthew, he disappeared out of the feed and he said that, uh, he lost power, uh, that they have a storm where they're at. So that happens sometimes. So I'll just continue solo and unless he's able to get his power back up. Uh, one cool thing about the MRD, you know, their mounting system for the FN, 509 is it's a very solid mounting system from what I've seen. It uses a unique adapter plate 
essentially that, uh, you know, with a bunch of different options for the different common popular optics out there. And it's a very solid mounting solution for an, an OEM mounting solution. So that's a, that's a positive note. Uh, it's far superior from what I've seen compared to the Glock MOS system. And I would imagine Glock was involved in this, uh, in this, per, you know, procurement uh, uh, for a new pistol and uh, I would suspect that, I don't know this for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if the evaluation of Glock MOS compared to the FN MRD system was found to be lacking, severely lacking. So anyway, um, pretty interesting stuff. Seeing FN get a big uh, contract like that, that's uh, probably, I think, I'm fairly, actually I'm positive, that's the largest law enforcement agency uh that has awarded a contract to uh, FN like that. So that's, that's a big deal. So congrats to FN America on winning this huge contract. And what I, I I think the other, like the positive net results or benefits from this are that that means more FN pistols out there. Uh, We, we start seeing more pistols like this in the hands of our law enforcement. They usually are going to end up more in the hands of citizens. Uh, because people will see them, they'll be interested in them, they'll be more inclined to buy more of them. So we'll see more options and features and aftermarket support and holsters and things for a pistol like the FN 509. So if I'm not mistaken, Mark, Mark I know is watching from uh, California. I don't think the FN 509 is on the... uh, uh, the state approved list. So there is a bit of irony there in that the, uh, the agency can buy the FN 509, but you as a civilian cannot. Yeah. You need to do something about changing that law in the state of California. Anyway, moving on. All right. So let's go to, uh, yeah, Matthew's still, still gone, still no power. So I'm going to do the story. Uh, that Matthew was going to do. He actually wrote this up just yesterday, or published today, actually. Canuck releases new enhanced Met-A Met-A line of semi-auto handguns. Uh, This is according to concealedcarry.com. This was just announced yesterday. And so Canuck, pretty popular now, uh, manufacturer uh, of of handguns like the TP9, TP9 SFX, or S, yeah, SFX, and the TP9 SFT, and a few other models. Uh, TP9 has been quite popular. Um, I actually just shot on a squad this last weekend at the USPSA Area One Championships with a shooter running the TP9 uh, SFX, I believe. And so, uh, yeah, pretty pretty cool little gun. Um, based in Turkey. Uh, Century Arms USA is the company here uh, that imports those and sells sells those pistols here in the U.S. for us. Anyway, they have just announced the new Canic Mete, that is M-E-T-E, but apparently it's pronounced Mete uh, or Mete or whatever, which is named after Mete Khan, who was a famous ruler. Uh, that would have encompassed the Turkish region way back like 2000, almost 2200 years ago. And so uh, apparently they wanted to honor him in calling this pistol after his name. 
that was an interesting thing. I, I wasn't particularly familiar with him. And even Matthew includes a little history lesson in his article here. He says uh, the pistol is named after Mete Khan, who ruled the Xiongnu Empire. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not. Until 174 BC, after ordering his men to kill his father in 209 BC. And I was like, okay, I got to look this up. I got to research this a little bit more because that's rather interesting. And so uh, I was like, plus, like, you want to honor a dude that killed his father? Well, apparently, if you dig back in the history le- lesson books, uh, Mete Khan's father, who was the, the ruler, the king, the emperor, whatever at that time for that region, he actually, he he did not want his son, Mete, to ascend to the throne after him. He wanted the son of one of his other wives to become the next ruler of the kingdom. And he actually sent his son, Mete, to another part of the kingdom where he then, or to, yeah, to another region, and then apparently sent his army there to, like, engage in battle with the hopes that his son would be killed in the process or something like that. So Mete Khan eventually like realizing that his father didn't like him, wanted to kill him, get wanted to get rid of him. He actually killed his father to uh, take over the kingdom. Anyway, things were ugly and rather rough back then still are, but interesting, you know, sometimes the origins of, of where we, or, you know, us human beings came from. So the Mete series, they, they have the SFX and the SFT model. Uh, the two models are very similar. Uh, the SFT model is a half-inch longer slide and barrel. Uh, it's a 5.2-inch barrel. It's actually quite long. And the SFX is a 4.47-inch barrel. Uh, they've redesigned the beaver tail portion of the grip from the older TP9 series to make it a little bit more ergonomic. Uh, they also give it gave the trigger guard a double undercut, which just helps you get your support hand up a little bit higher and in better contact with the gun. Uh, the trigger is essentially the same from what I could see. Uh, the sights are similar, but they apparently have a a uh, reverse angle. Uh, how do you describe it? And how does Matthew write it here? But anyway, the the rear sight has a double. No, see, not that. Where is it? Come on, Matthew. I wish he was here to help me out. <laughs> the sights. The rear sight has a forward angle. There we go. That works. That makes sense. To accommodate one-handed slide manipulations, I would say that's always appreciated. The pistol also has uh, Canix uh, uh, optic ready cut, when the, which is compatible with a number of optics, and they have adapter plates and different things. So. That's always, that's great. In today's world, I think that's what you got to do. And I think in today's world where we are now, I think more and more pistol manufacturers, when they release a new gun, they just need to release it optics ready. And we need to get away from this, you know, whole idea of release a pistol that's just iron sights and then sometime later release the optics ready version. Uh, just just release it with optics ready. Like that should be the standard here going forward. You know, uh, SIG, originally released the p365 non-optics ready and then you know a year or two later released the optics ready version springfield with the hellcat released both basically the same time but they had the iron sight only and the optics ready versions both both available i suppose that's not that big a deal 
but you know, it's far simpler just to have an optics ready pistol. You know, if you don't want to use an optic, fine. Have an adapter plate that fills in that space like the Canic here does. You look at it. Yeah, there's a couple of screws there holding the plate in place. Maybe aesthetically it's not as pleasing to some people, but I I just say, who cares, right? Give people the options. And the future, I think, is pistols are going to have optics. So let's it's time to embrace that. Um, they, uh, increased the aggressiveness of the, of the texture of the grip. That's always a good thing. I think, by the way, uh, grip texture is huge in terms of being able to grip and control and shoot a gun accurately fast. So that's a good thing. And the uh, magwell has been flared slightly. I think that's also an improvement as well. And then it says there's this, this holster fit and lock system and so like the the frame or the grip module of the uh, uh pistol has like this these little indented squares near kind of where your finger your index finger would would go when you are indexed off the trigger and supposedly that that has something to do with a retention holster that canic uh, has designed or is involved with um i don't know what that, exactly that looks like i think that's somewhat intriguing uh having a point on the pistol that re that retains or works with retention of holster versus just the trigger guard. So that's kind of an interesting take. Um, let's see any other notable features. I think that's the big stuff. It did say that the, that the sights, the iron sights that come on the pistol are three dot, ah, man, I'd love to see that kind of thing go away. Um, three dot is, uh, not where it, like, just give me a front dot and a, in a rear notch. It's all you need. And for those of you that think you need three dots, come to a class sometime. All right. And let's learn how to shoot and shoot fast. And you'll quickly learn that having three dots can just sometimes confuse what you visually see. Now it probably works for some people, but because I shouldn't say one way is the highway for every person, but I would say generally speaking, you just need a high contrast front sight to sit somewhere in a rear notch. That's all you need. We don't need three dots. Anyway, pistol comes with an IWB. It's a convertible IWB and out out and an IWB and OWB holster. So inside waistband and outside waistband holster. Cleaning kit, tool kit, takedown tool, and the gun ships with two magazines, a 20 rounder and an 18 rounder. Except for to some of you magazine capacity limited states, I would imagine. So pretty cool. New pistol from Can- from Canic. Uh, let's go to our last story of the day and might, we might just have to skip, uh, oh, wait, maybe I do have that info. Okay. I was going to say might have to skip the giveaway winner cause Matthew usually has that info, but it looks like we have it here in the uh, show notes for today. Uh, guns.com reports that a new Kimber pistol is coming apparently to be released or announced on August 19th. That's in about a week. And uh, they, we don't have all the details, but uh, that's just kind of, you know, it's interesting to to talk about what might be coming. Uh, They have dropped some breadcrumbs, it says, over the last couple of weeks about the new model. Um, They have said that it sounds like it's going to, it's expected to be lightweight, reliable, right out of the gate. That would be a good thing for Kimber. Uh, More sight options. This, and this is according to little little nuggets that the uh, 
company president has uh, mentioned on uh, at various points. And let's see. Uh, more side options, more optic options, more capacity. All right. And then he says, stay tuned because you're about to get a lot more than you expected. So, and then according to them, uh, that it says it, I mean, basically the hint here is that it's expected to be a fairly compact carry gun with a 10 to 12 round capacity that's easy to conceal and able to mount an optic on a cut slide. So there you go. That is uh, what it looks like. It sounds like Kimber's trying to get into the P365 Springfield Hellcat game. No surprise there necessarily. Everybody wants in on that game because they've seen how well those pistols have sold. So I'll be curious to see what Kimber's take on this new pistol is. If it's going to be truly something unique and different, innovative, or if it's going to be more of a copycat of the P365, which essentially established this whole market. So that's all the news stories we have today, guys. Uh, we we will have to forego Matthew's uh, product review or gear review. I'll give you mine, and then we're over time, so I'll try to be brief. But today I am reviewing the Garmin. So okay, so preface here. I am doing something a little bit non-typical today. Um, it's not necessarily a gun-related product, but I think it's one that many of my friends out there would appreciate. So uh, this is the Garmin Phoenix or Phoenix uh, 6X Pro smartwatch. Uh, I didn't want to get a smartwatch for a long time. I didn't want another connected device riding on my wrist, um, just adding more distraction to my life. For a while, I had had these Garmin watches on my radar because they're not like some of the other smartwatches like Samsung and Apple offers that, you know, gives you all these widgets and applications and you can do all the same things on your watch as you can on your phone. I didn't want that. I just wanted a watch, but maybe with some additional features. So the Garmin watches and particularly, I, I don't know how, how all the Garmin watches work, but, I, but I'll, so I'll speak specifically to the Phoenix 6X Pro. But uh, this connects to my phone, and it does pass through notifications that I choose it to. In this case, I, I only have it to pass through phone calls and text messages. Um, I don't have any social media or anything like that or emails coming through to, to my watch. So, uh, phone calls and email or phone calls and text messages get priority in my life because uh, the, the people that know me personally are going to be the ones that call or text me. So I appreciate that. I, I see those notifications and I can actually read those text messages right there on the phone or on the watch and go, okay, cool. And make a quick determination of whether that's important enough for me to pick up my phone and respond to or, or wait till a little bit, little, a little bit later. Um, but the big thing was, is I've been working really hard this year to get more into physical shape. So I wanted something that could also track my health statistics, heart rate, uh, uh, respiration rate, uh, sleep patterns, movement, physical activity, all these things. And this watch does an, an excellent job in that regard. Has, you know, top of the line, state of the art sensors for tracking things like your heart rate and respiration rate. Does a great, like, it's, it's almost 
witchcraft to me, how this thing can track my sleep patterns. I'm like, first of all, what, what sensors are in there that really tell it when I'm truly asleep and when I'm in REM sleep, you know, rapid eye movement versus deep sleep versus light sleep, et cetera, et cetera. But it's given me a lot of insight into my sleep patterns and what my health looks like from a perspective of the rest that I'm getting. Um, oh, what else? I mean, it's, it's, it's been a phenomenal tool. I appreciate the fact that you can customize the watch face. So I, I added this more analog looking watch face to it. Cause that's the style I like a lot of the watches I've owned in the past. In fact, here's one right here that I probably still occasionally will put on my wrist, but here's, here's a analog watch that I really like. Uh, I like I like the analog analog look. So kind of a classic styling mixed with today's tech, modern technology. It's water resistant. Plenty well like I've gone swimming with this, take showers, whatever. I don't worry about damaging the watch because I get it wet or I hop in the pool. Um uh, yeah, I mean it's just a really really cool watch. Uh not inexpensive, that's that's for sure. Oh, I mean not to geez, not to mention the the built-in GPS features, okay? So I've used this on a couple of hikes. Um, really, really cool to just have GPS right there on my on my wrist, tracking the whole hike, um, you know, being able to see terrain and other features. Uh, it has built-in trails and roads and everything for all of North, of America, North America uh, to a high level of detail. Very easy to use and uh, to navigate in that way. Very accurate from what I could see. Um, I've used it to go on, you know, runs on jogs, uh, bike rides, uh, walks around the park. Uh, I try, I use it to track my physical activity when I do my workout, my daily workouts. Um, uh, it just has so many options. I even used it to play a, a, a couple of rounds of golf with my, my brother, uh, a, a month or two ago, uh, which was really cool. Like where it just gave me a readout and knew exactly where it was on each hole and gave me a readout of the distance to the next hole. So really, really cool features, tons of features. Um, I couldn't be happier with it, actually. So now Garmin does make some more tactical-oriented watches, including ones that have ballistic calculators in them. Uh, they're a bit more expensive and also something that are probably more useful for guys that spend a lot of time shooting long-distance uh, precision rifle stuff. Uh, and that, I think that's the Tactics Delta and Tactics Charlie models. But the uh, this is the Phoenix 6X Pro. Uh, I really like it. I, I highly recommend it. If you're looking for a smart, smart watch that can track all the important metrics in your life without bothering you with a ton of busyness and notifications and such, then I'd recommend you check it out. Christopher on Facebook asks uh, how much, and I think this retails... Well, right now you can pick it up for about 600 bucks on, on Amazon. I got mine a bit cheaper. I got, I managed to find a, uh, uh, you know, a temporary, uh, sale and was able to pick, pick it up for a bit cheaper than that. So that was great. So that's my, my gear review, the Garmin Phoenix 6X Pro. Well, guys, uh, before we let you go, we do need to announce this week's weekly prize winner. Uh, we do the weekly giveaway. You got to go get signed up each week at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And next week, by the way, we're going to give away a package of, I think it'll be 
I can't, I think it's five or six rounds that comes in a pack. Uh, we're going to give you nine millimeter dummy ammo and I don't have mine handy right here, but, uh, we just got dummy ammo back in stock. It's something that's been hard to get since, uh, the COVID pandemic began due to some supplier issues, but we're really excited to have our dummy ammo back in stock. We are now branding our own dummy ammo from ready up gear. So that's pretty cool and, and exciting to see. Uh, check out our nine millimeter dummy ammo on our website, concealedcarry.com and order some, if you've been looking for some very reasonably priced, I think it's actually the best priced dummy ammo that you'll find anywhere in the market from at least from the price comparisons I've done a lot cheaper than like that. Those aluminum ones that are coated with red coating that like flakes off and it wears off and things like that. Uh, very, very nice dummy ammo that's got a polymer tip and a and polymer base in the in the primer pocket. So those of you that are concerned about uh, dry fire, you can use our dummy ammo and it works great. It's going to protect your firearm as well. So that's the prize next week. Don't forget to sign up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Today's winner, though, that I, I'm announcing is getting a uh, palm pepper spray unit. So really cool, really cool prize, very useful prize. It's a great tool to have some form of less le- lethal on your your on your belt or in your pocket. And the pop pepper spray units are fantastic for that purpose. They're low profile. Uh, they're not, you know, they're not uh, obnoxious or overly large in any way. Uh, but they're also very effective. They pack a good punch. They they're recommended by by people in the industry that I trust. So the winner for a palm pepper spray unit is Michael M. Congrats to Michael. You will be contacted uh, via email to get your your shipping info and we'll get one of those shipped to you right away. Uh, The one downside is if you happen to be in a in a jurisdiction where that's not legal for us to ship to. Uh, we may have to find a substitute prize, but chances those those are pretty far and few in between. So chances are, Michael, you'll be able to get your palm pepper spray unit. So congrats, Michael, on winning the palm pepper spray. Guys, don't forget to sign up for the weekly giveaway at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize for a chance next week to win a pack of nine millimeter dummy ammo. So with that, let's sign on out of here and let you go. Uh, I believe Jacob and I will be back on later today for another episode. Until then, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Take care.